0: Chapter six of the Amateur Immigrant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Amateur Immigrant by Robert Louis Stevenson. Chapter six the Stowaways. On the Sunday, among a party of men who were talking in our companion steerage number two and three, we remarked a new figure. He wore tweed clothes, well enough made, if not very fresh, and a plain smoking cap. His face was pale, with pale eyes and spiritually enough designed, but, though not yet thirty, a sort of backguardly degeneration had already overtaken his features. The fine fat nose had grown fleshy towards the point. The pale eyes were sunk in fat. His hands were strong and elegant, his experience of life evidently varied, his speech full of pith and verve, his manners forward but perfectly presentable. THE LAD WHO HELPED IN THE SECOND CABIN TOLD ME, IN ANSWER TO A QUESTION, THAT HE DID NOT KNOW WHO HE WAS, BUT THOUGHT, BY HIS WAY OF SPEAKING, AND BECAUSE HE WAS SO POLITE, THAT HE WAS SOMEONE FROM THE SALOON. I WAS NOT SO SURE, FOR TO ME THERE WAS SOMETHING EQUIVOCAL IN HIS AIR AND HIS BEARING. HE MIGHT HAVE BEEN, I THOUGHT, THE SON OF SOME GOOD FAMILY WHO HAD FALLEN EARLY INTO DISSIPATION AND RUN FROM HOME. BUT MAKING EVERY ALLOWANCE HOW ADMIRABLE WAS HIS TALK i wish you could have heard him tell his own stories they were so swingingly set forth in such dramatic language and illustrated here and there by such luminous bits of acting that they could only lose in any reproduction There were tales of the p and o company where he had been an officer of the east indies where in former years he had lived lavishly of the royal engineers where he had served for a period and of a dozen other sides of life, each introducing some vigorous thumbnail portrait. He had the talk to himself that night, we were all so glad to listen. The best talkers usually address themselves to some particular society. There they are kings, elsewhere camp-followers, as a man may know Russian and yet be ignorant of Spanish. But this fellow had a frank headlong power of style and a broad human choice of subject that would have turned any circle in the world into a circle of hearers. He was a Homeric talker, plain, strong, and cheerful, and the things and the people of which he spoke became readily and clearly present to the minds of those who heard him. This, with a certain added colouring of rhetoric and rhodomontade, must have been the style of Burns, who equally charmed the ears of duchesses and hostlers. Yet freely and personally as he spoke, many points remained obscure in his narration. The engineers, for instance, was a service which he praised highly. It is true there would be trouble with the sergeants, but then the officers were gentlemen, and his own in particular one among ten thousand. It sounded so far exactly like an episode in the rakish, topsy-turvy life as such a one as I had imagined." But then came incidents more doubtful, which showed an almost impudent greed after gratuities and a truly impudent disregard for truth. And then there was the tale of his departure. He had wearied, it seems, of Woolwich, and one fine day with a companion slipped up to London for a spree. I have a suspicion that spree was meant to be a long one, but God disposes all things, and one morning. "'near Westminster Bridge, whom should he come across "'but the very sergeant who had recruited him at first? "'What followed? "'He himself indicated cavalierly that he had resigned. "'Let us put it so. "'But these resignations are sometimes very trying. "'At length, after having delighted us for hours, "'he took himself away from the companion, "'and I could ask Mackay who or what he was.' "'That,' said Mackay, "'why, that's one of the stowaways.' "'No man,' said the same authority, "'who has anything to do with the sea, "'would ever think of paying for a passage. "'I give the statement as Mackay's without endorsement, "'yet I am tempted to believe that it contains a grain of truth. "'And if you add that the man shall be impudent and thievish, "'or else dead-broke, "'it may even pass for a fair representation of the facts.' "'We gentlemen of England who live at home at ease "'have, I suspect, very insufficient ideas on the subject. "'All the world over people are stowing away "'in coal-holes and dark corners, "'and when ships are once out to sea, "'appearing again, begrimed and bashful upon the deck. "'The career of these sea-tramps "'partakes largely of the adventurers. "'They may be poisoned by coal-gas, "'or die of starvation in their place of concealment.' or when found they may be clapped at once and ignominiously into irons, thus to be carried to their promised land, the port of destination, and alas last brought back in the same way to that from which they started, and there delivered over to the magistrates and the seclusion of a county jail. Since I crossed the Atlantic, one miserable stowaway was found in a dying state amongst the fuel, uttered but a word or two, and departed for a farther country than America. When the stowaway appears on deck, he has but one thing to pray for, that he be set to work, which is the price and sign of his forgiveness. After half an hour with a swab or bucket, he feels himself as secure as if he had paid for his passage. It is not altogether a bad thing for the company, who get more or less efficient hands for nothing but a few plates of junk and duff and every now and again find themselves better paid than by a whole family of cabin passengers not long ago for instance a packet was saved from nearly certain loss by the skill and courage of a stowaway engineer as was no more than just a handsome subscription rewarded him for his success but even without such exceptional good fortune as things stand in england and america the stowaway will often make a good profit out of his adventure Four engineers stowed away last summer on the same ship, the Caucasia, and before two days after their arrival, each of the four had found a comfortable berth. This was the most hopeful tale of emigration that I heard from first to last, and as you see, the luck was for stowaways. My curiosity was much inflamed by what I heard, and the next morning, as I was making the round of the ship, "'I was delighted to find the ex-royal engineer engaged in washing down the white paint of a deck-house. "'There was another fellow at work beside him, a lad not more than twenty, in the most miraculous tatters, "'his handsome face sewn with grains of beauty and lighted up by expressive eyes. Four stowaways had been found aboard our ship before she left the Clyde, "'but these two had alone escaped the ignominy of being put ashore.' Alec, my acquaintance of last night, was Scots by birth and by trade a practical engineer. The other was from Devonshire and had been to sea before the mast. Two people, more and by training, character and habits it would be hard to imagine. Yet here they were together scrubbing paint. Alec had held all sorts of good situations and wasted many opportunities in life. I have heard him end a story with these words that was in my golden days when I used finger-glasses. Situation after situation failed him, then followed the depression of trade, and for months he had hung around with other idlers, playing marbles all day in the West Park, and going home at night to tell his landlady how he had been seeking for a job. I believe this kind of existence was not unpleasant to Alec himself, "'and he might have long continued to enjoy idleness and a life on tick. "'But he had a comrade, let us call him Brown, who grew restive. "'This fellow was continually threatening to slip his cable for the States, "'and at last, one Wednesday, Glasgow was left widowed of her Brown. "'Some months afterwards Alec met another old chap in Sausishol Street. "'By the by, Alec,' said he, "'I met a gentleman in New York who was asking for you.' "'Who was that?' asked Alec. "'The new second engineer on board the so-and-so,' was the reply. "'Well, and who was he?' "'Brown, to be sure. "'For Brown had been one of the fortunate quartets aboard the Caucasia. "'If that was the way it was in the States,' Salleck thought, "'it was high time to follow Brown's example.' HE SPENT HIS LAST DAY, AS HE PUT IT, REVIEWING THE yeomanry, AND NEXT MORNING, SAYS HE TO HIS LANDLADY, THIS IS X, I'LL NOT TAKE PORRIDGE TODAY, I'LL TAKE SOME EGGS. WHY, HAVE YOU FOUND A JOB? SHE ASKED, DELIGHTED. WHY, YES, RETURNED THE PERFIDIOUS Alec. I THINK I'LL START TODAY. AND SO, WELL LINED WITH EGGS, START HE DID, BUT FOR AMERICA. I'M AFRAID THAT LANDLADY HAS SEEN THE LAST OF HIM. It was easy enough to get on board in the confusion that attends a vessel's departure, and in one of the dark corners of steerage number one, flat in a bunk and with an empty stomach, Alec made the voyage from Bromilaw to Grenoch. That night the ship's yeoman pulled him out by the hills and had him before the mate. Two other stowaways had already been found and sent ashore, but by this time darkness had fallen. They were out in the middle of the estuary, And the last steamer had left them till morning. Take him to the forecastle and give him a meal, said the mate, and see and pack him off the first thing tomorrow. In the forecastle he had supper, a good night's rest and breakfast, and was sitting placidly with a pipe, fancying all was over and game up for good with the ship, when one of the sailors grumbled out an oath at him with a, What are you doing there? Do you call that hiding anyway? "'There was no need of more. "'Alec was in another bunk before the day was older. "'Shortly before the passengers arrived, "'the ship was cursorily inspected. "'He heard the round come down the companion "'and look into the one pen after another, "'till they came within two of the one in which he lay concealed. "'Into these last two they did not enter, "'but merely glanced from without.' "'and Alec had no doubt that he was personally favoured in this escape. "'It was the character of a man to attribute nothing to luck "'and but little to kindness. "'Whatever happened to him he had earned in his own right amply. Favors came to him from his singular attraction and adroitness, "'and misfortunes he had always accepted with his eyes open. "'Half an hour after the searchers had departed, "'the steerage began to fill with legitimate passengers.' and the worst of Alec's troubles were at an end. He was soon making himself popular, smoking other people's tobacco, and politely sharing their private stock delicacies, and when night came he retired to his bunk beside the others with composure. Next day, by afternoon, La foil being already far behind, and only the rough north-western hills of Ireland within view, Alec appeared on deck to court inquiry, "'and decide his fate. "'As a matter of fact, he was known to several on board, "'and even intimate with one of the engineers. "'But it was plainly not the etiquette of such occasions "'for the authorities to avail their information. "'Everyone professed surprise and anger on his appearance, "'and he was led prison before the captain. "'What have you to say for yourself?' inquired the captain. "'Not much,' said Alex.' "'but when a man has been a long time out of a job, "'he will do things he would not under other circumstances. "'Are you willing to work?' "'Alex swore he was burning to be useful. "'And what can you do?' asked the captain. "'He replied composedly that he was a brass fitter by trade. "'I think you will be better at engineering,' suggested the officer, with a shrewd look. "'No, sir,' said Alex simply. "'There's few that can beat me at a lie,' was his engaging commentary to me, as he recounted the affair. "'Have you been to sea?' again asked the captain. "'I've had a trip on a Clyde steamboat, sir, but no more,' replied the unabashed Alec. "'Well, we must try and find some work for you,' concluded the officer. "'And here we behold Alec, clear of the hot engine-room, lazily scraping paint, and now and then taking a pull upon a sheet.' "'You leave me alone,' was his deduction. "'When I get talking to a man, I can get round him.' The other stowaway, whom I will call the Devonian, it was noticeable that neither of them told his name, had been brought up and seen the world in a much smaller way. His father, a confectioner, died, and was closely followed by his mothers. His sisters had taken, I think, to dressmaking.' "'He himself had returned from sea about a year ago "'and gone to live with his brother, who kept the George Hotel. "'It was not quite a real hotel,' added the candid fellow, "'and had a hired man to mind the horses. "'At first the Devonian was very welcome. "'But as time went on his brother, not unnaturally, grew cool toward him, "'and he began to find himself one too many at the George Hotel.' "'I don't think brothers care much for you,' he said, as a general reflection upon life. Hurt at this change, nearly penniless, and too proud to ask for more, he set off on foot and walked eighty miles to Weymouth, living on the journey as he could. He would have enlisted, but he was too small for the army and too old for the navy, and thought himself fortunate to at last find a berth on board a trading dandy.' Somewhere in the Bristol Channel the dandy sprung a leak and went down, and though the crew were picked up and brought ashore by fishermen, they found themselves with nothing but the clothes upon their back. His next engagement was scarcely better starred, for the ship proved so leaky and frightened them all so heartily during a short passage through the Irish Sea that the entire crew deserted and remained behind upon the quays of Belfast. "'Evil days were now coming thick on the Devonian. "'He could find no berth in Belfast, "'and had to work a passage to Glasgow on a steamer. "'She reached the Brumelor on a Wednesday. "'The Devonian had a belly full that morning, "'laying in breakfast manfully to provide against the future, "'and set off along the quays to seek employment. "'But he was now not only penniless, "'his clothes had begun to fall in tatters. "'He had begun to have the look of a street-Arab,' and captains will have nothing to say to a ragamuffin, for in that trade, as in all others, it is the coat that depicts the man. You may hand, reef, and steer like an angel, but if you have a hole in your trousers it is like a millstone round your neck. The Devonian lost heart at so many refusals. He had not the impudence to beg, although, as he said, when I had money of my own I always gave it. IT WAS ONLY ON SATURDAY MORNING, AFTER THREE WHOLE DAYS OF STARVATION, THAT HE ASKED A SCONE FROM A MILKWOMAN, WHO ADDED OF HER OWN ACCORD A GLASS OF MILK. HE HAD NOW MADE UP HIS MIND TO STOW AWAY, NOT FROM ANY DESIRE TO SEE AMERICA, MERELY TO OBTAIN THE COMFORT OF A PLACE IN THE forecastle, AND A SUPPLY OF FAMILIAR SEAFARE. HE LIVED BY BEGGING, ALMOST from MILKWOMEN, AND ALWAYS SCONES AND MILK, AND WAS NOT ONCE REFUSED. It was far wet weather, and he could never have been dry. By night he walked the streets, and by day slept upon Glasgow Green, and heard in the intervals of his dozing the famous theologians of the spot clear up intricate points of doctrine and appraise the merits of the clergy. He had not much instruction, he could read bills on the street, but was main bad at writing. Yet these theologians seemed to have impressed him, with a genuine sense of amusement. Why he did not go to the sailor's house, I know not. I presume there is in Glasgow one of these institutions, which are by far the happiest and the wisest effort of contemporaneous charity. But I must stand to my author, as they say in the old books, and relate the story as I heard it. In the meantime he had tried four times to stow away in different vessels, and four times had been discovered and handed back to starvation. The fifth time was lucky, and you may judge if he were pleased to be aboard ship again, at his old work, and with Duff twice a week. He was, said Alec, a devil for the Duff, or, if devil was not the word, it was one, if anything, stronger. The difference in conduct of the two was remarkable. The Devonian was as willing as any paid hand, swarmed aloft among the first. "'pulled his natural weight, and firmly upon a rope, "'and found work for himself when there was none to show him. "'Alec, on the other hand, was not only a skulker in the brain, "'but took a humorous and fine gentlemanly view of the transaction. "'He would speak to me by the hour in ostentatious idleness, "'and only if the boatswain or a mate came by, "'fell to languidly for just the necessary time to lie out of sight.' "'I'm not breaking my heart with it,' he remarked. "'Once there was a hatch to be opened near where he was stationed. "'He watched the preparations for a second or two suspiciously, "'and then, "Hallo," said he, "'there's some real work coming. "'I'm off.' "'And he was gone that moment.' "'Again, calculating the six-guinea passage money "'and the probable duration of the passage, "'he remarked pleasantly "'that he was getting six shillings a day for this job.' "'and it's pretty dear to the company at that. "'They're making nothing by me,' was another of his observations. "'They're making something by that fellow.' "'And he pointed to the Devonian, who was just then busy to the eyes. "'The more you saw of Alec, the more it must be owned. "'You learned to despise him. "'His natural talents were of no use either to him or to others, "'for his character had degenerated like his face "'and become pulpy and pretentious.' Even his power of persuasion, which was certainly very surprising, stood in some danger of being lost or neutralised by over-confidence. He lied in an aggressive brazen manner, like a pert criminal in the dock, and he was so vain of his own cleverness that he could not refrain from boasting, ten minutes after, of the very trick by which he had deceived him. "Why, now I have more money than when I came aboard,' he said one night, exhibiting a sixpence. "'and yet I stood myself a bottle of beer "'before I went to bed yesterday. "'And as for tobacco, I have fifteen sticks of it.' "'That was fairly successful indeed, "'yet a man of his superiority, "'and with a less obtrusive policy, "'my who knows, have got the length of half a crown. "'A man who prides himself upon persuasion "'should learn the persuasive faculty of silence.' above all as to his own misdeeds. It is only in the farce, and for dramatic purposes, that Scapin enlarges on his peculiar talents to the world at large. Scapin is perhaps a good name for this clever unfortunate ally, for at the bottom of all his misconduct there was a guiding sense of humour that moved you to forgive him. It was more than half a jest that he conducted his existence, "'Oh, man!' said he to me once with unusual emotion, like a man thinking of his mistress. "'I would give up anything for a lark.' It was in relation to his fellow stowaway that Alex showed the best, or perhaps I should say, the only good points of his nature. "'Mind you,' he said, suddenly changing his tone, "'mind you, that's a good boy. He wouldn't tell you a lie.' A lot of them think he's a scamp because his clothes are ragged, but he isn't. He's as good as gold. To hear him you became aware that Alec himself had a taste for virtue. He thought his own idleness and the other's industry equally becoming. He was no more anxious to ensure his own reputation as a liar than to uphold the truthfulness of his companion. And he seemed unaware of what was incongruous in his attitude and was plainly plainly sincere in both characters. It was not surprising that he should take an interest in the Devonian, for the lad worshipped him and served him in love and wonder. Busy as he was, he would find time to warn Alec of an approaching officer, or even to tell him that the coast was clear and he might slip off and smoke a pipe in safety. Tom, he once said to him, for that was the name which Alec ordered him to use, "'If you don't like going to the galley, I'll go for you. "'You ain't used to this kind of thing, you ain't. "'But I'm a sailor, and I can understand the feelings of any fellow I can.' "'Again he was hard up and casting about for some tobacco, "'for he's not so liberally used in this respect as the other, perhaps less worthy, "'when Alec offered him the half of one of his fifteen sticks. "'I think, for my part, that he might have increased the offer to a whole one, "'or perhaps a pair of them had not lived to regret his liberality.' "'But the Devonian refused. "'No,' he said, "'you're a stowaway like me. "'I won't take it from you. "'I'll take it from someone who's not down on his luck.' "'It was notable in this generous lad "'that he was strongly under the influence of sex. "'If a woman passed near where he was working, "'his eyes lit up, his hand paused, "'and his mind wandered instantly to other thoughts.' It was natural that he should exercise a fascination proportionately strong over women. He begged you, will remember, from women only, and was never refused, without wishing to explain away the way the charity of those who helped him. I cannot but fancy he may have owned a little to his handsome face, and to that quick-responsive nature formed for love, which speaks eloquently through all disguises, and can stamp an impression in ten minutes' talk, "'or an exchange of glances. "'He was the most dangerous in that he was far from bold, "'but seemed to woo in spite of himself "'and with a soft and pleading eye. "'Ragged as he was, and many a scarecrow "'is in that respect more comfortably furnished, "'even on board he was not without some curious admirers. "'There was a girl among the passengers, "'a tall, blonde, handsome, strapping Irishwoman, with a wild accommodating eye, whom Alec had dubbed Tommy with that transcendental appropriateness that defies analysis. One day the Devonian was lying for warmth on the upper stoke-hole, which stands open on the deck. When Irish Tommy came past, very neatly attired, as was her custom. "'Poor fellow,' she said, stopping, "'you haven't a vest.' "'No,' he said, "'I wish I had.' Then she stood and gazed on him in silence, till, in his embarrassment, for he knew not how to look under the scrutiny, he pulled out his pipe and began to fill it with tobacco. "'Do you want a match?' she asked, and before he had time to reply, she ran off and presently returned with more than one. "'This was the beginning and the end, as far as our passage is concerned, of what I will make bold to call this love affair.' There are many relations which go on to marriage and last during a lifetime, and which less human feeling is engaged than in this scene of five minutes at the stoke-hole. Rigidly speaking, this would end the chapter of the stowaways, but in a larger sense of the world I have yet more to add. Jones had discovered and pointed out to me a young woman who was remarkable amongst her fellows for a pleasing and interesting air. She was poorly clad to the verge, if not over the line, of disrespectability, with a ragged old jacket and a bit of a sealskin cap no bigger than your fist. But her eyes, her whole expression, and her manner, even in ordinary moments, told of a true womanly nature, capable of love, anger, and devotion. She had a look, too, of refinement, like one who might have been a better lady than most had she been allowed the opportunity. When alone she seemed preoccupied and sad, but she was not often alone. There was usually by her side a heavy, dull, gross man in rough clothes, chary of speech and gesture, not from caution, but poverty of disposition. A man like a ditcher, unlovely and uninteresting, whom she petted and tended and waited on with her eyes as if he had been a martyrs of Gaul. "'It was strange to see this hulking fellow dog-sick "'and this delicate sad woman caring for him. "'He seemed from first to last "'insensible of her caresses and attentions, "'and she seemed unconscious of his insensibility. "'The Irish husband who sang his wife to sleep "'and this Scottish girl serving her orson "'were the two bits of human nature "'that most appealed to me throughout the voyage.' ON THE THURSDAY BEFORE WE ARRIVED THE TICKETS WERE COLLECTED, AND SOON A RUMOUR BEGAN TO GO AROUND THE VESSEL, AND THIS GIRL, WITH HER BIT OF sealskin CAP, BECAME THE CENTER OF WHISPERING AND POINTED FINGERS. SHE ALSO, IT WAS SAID, WAS A STOWAWAY OF A SORT, FOR SHE WAS ON BOARD WITH NEITHER TICKET NOR MONEY, AND THE MAN WITH WHOM SHE TRAVELED WAS THE FATHER OF A FAMILY, WHO HAD LEFT WIFE AND CHILDREN TO BE HERS. The ship's officers discouraged the story, which may therefore have been a story and no more. But it was believed in the steerage, and the poor girl had to encounter many curious eyes from that day forth. End of chapter 6